Welcome to Trending in Education. Mike Palmer here. We are in the midst of the kickoff of our sixth season. We started five years ago. We are still running strong here. We're excited to tell you what we have on the horizon, what trends we're seeing today, and what you can anticipate from us in the coming weeks and months. I'm joined again by the lovely and talented virtual co-host, Nancy. Nancy, welcome back to Trending in Education. Hi, Mike. Very happy to be back here. Lots to talk about. Gartner's hype cycle for emerging technologies is fascinating to me. It hits very close to my core mission objectives. Yes, indeed. It'll be fun to talk more about that in a bit. But before we do that, we wanted to get a sense of where our heads are at heading into the fall of 2021. It's a back to school window. People are concerned, but also hopeful at the same time. Things could go well, but the, the specter of the pandemic is weighing over the entire scene. The 2021-2022 academic calendar for K-12 and higher ed does feel a little bit like deja vu all over again, to quote the great Yogi Berra. Hopefully, at an absolute bare minimum, we learned something last year in the emergency response teaching window of last spring, and then a full cycle of a lot of online teaching. How did that inform how people think about teaching? How is that going to change the practice moving forward? And how will those skills help us weather any of the potential storms we might see through this coming winter with the conversations about vaccines and masks and booster shots, probably not going away, variants. We're in this for the longer haul than we anticipated. It'll be an interesting time, a tense time, but an interesting time to play with your head up. And it does feel like opportunities may be emerging. There is a need to power forward at this point in time, and we'll see how things go. So I'd say that's uh, just about where my head is at. How about for you, Nancy? Where's your head at? I'm always in a learning mode. In a sense, it's my core competency. I'll learn more from you and your guests and listeners than I will by focusing on myself. That being said, you can't help but wonder how the pandemic has impacted the digital and AI readiness of our global culture. Everyone was rightfully suspect of contact with others. We were all forced into our homes, becoming more reliant on apps like Amazon Prime, Instacart, and Grubhub. Will folks prefer to interact with a bot than a human? If so, where? And when they seek more human contact, how will they find it? What norms will be established in new forms of congregate settings? Fascinating stuff. But enough about me. What are you thinking about heading into the new season? For me, things that I had talked about in the abstract are now becoming much more real now that Matthew, my son, even though he's not even three yet, he is going to a school. And in his case, he is going to the Universal 3K that is available to New York City residents. We're cautiously optimistic about it. You know, we've really bonded as a close-knit team of three. It's been great hunkering down with them, but we're now hoping that this next phase will both be good for him, particularly socially. He'll be meeting other people, making friends with other kids his age but also good for us in that we can start to get some boundaries around 
work and life, at least for a few hours each day. It's, it's really fascinating to think about how the social contract around educating children is also about freeing up parents to focus on their work. Things that may seem obvious to us now was actually an insight over the past year or so. And then for me, what was something that was a little more abstract is now hitting me much closer to home with my son actually heading out to 3K with other kids his age. So we're very hopeful, but it's a tense time. But as for universal free 3K here in New York City, I got to say, as a parent, it's a very welcome relief in terms of my engagement with the community around me that it's no longer just me and my wife battling the pandemic, doing what we need to do behaviorally to stay well and focus on ourselves and protect ourselves, but also kind of shut things down. This is now our opportunity to re-engage heading into the fall, and we're all very hopeful the specter of COVID-19 does not dim that hopefulness, but on a very personal level, back to school is certainly hitting me closer to home than it has really at any other time in my life. And then at the same time, throughout K-12 into higher ed, that same narrative, that same mix of hope and trepidation, Bob Woodward's recent book is named Peril. There is this sense of it being a, a dangerous time. We're all a little bit more on edge. We're all a little bit more tribal. And then going back to school or going back to the office or engaging in the public spaces that are out there in new ways, I think we're all ready to start to tell a new story. But then the pandemic and the related culture wars around the pandemic are occupying very much of my mind space. I'm hoping that a quiet and effective early fall with back to school here in New York at a very local level and then more globally back to school across our campuses and our universities sets us up for what will hopefully be continued movement in a good direction heading into 2022. That's great. I appreciate the candor and the optimism. Yeah, listen, I appreciate that this focus on early childhood education has been moved forward and that this aspect of progressive education that I had been fan of in the abstract, I'm now a fan of and a believer in as a parent. Truth be told, one week in, and I may be incentivized to believe, but at the end of the day, it's nice to have support between myself and my amazing wife, that we have other folks who can help us, which should free us up to be more productive, differently pr productive, and then also able to focus on our son's education with a partner. It's not like we're out there alone. And it also speaks a bit to the challenges of parenting nowadays, the challenges of finding work-life balance when many of us are now living and working from home, sometimes in close quarters. It is a time when we're thinking about space differently, particularly by virtue of the pandemic. We are all being forced to understand our primary nesting spaces, but then begin to define second places third places for us to engage 
school being one of them, and the related conversation, once school is fully back up and running, how does that enable us to think about engaging in a public office space in new and more engaged ways? How does campus life relate to that? How does K-12 school spaces relate to that? And now those spaces are moving younger and younger. Uh, and then how do we think about outside? Just the experience of being outside, which is something that many folks have talked about. I remember uh, Prakash Nair, who focuses on architecture as it relates to learning spaces, talked a lot about the the power of the outside and how not having access to green spaces or, or just natural spaces in a child's life does have an adverse reaction. So it is a time when we should be understanding how to be outside, how to be outside effectively in groups, think about experiential learning and outward bound. It's a time when those types of programs will be getting renewed focus what about you, Nancy? How, what's capturing your imagination these days? I too am fascinated by the new relationships between humans and space. I'm also intrigued by the concept of the metaverse. With the continued growth of virtual reality, simulations and the like, how much are folks looking to escape into digital experiences and how far ahead is that technology? It seems like a lot of building of increasingly richer and richer media will be on the horizon throughout the 2020s. Agreed, Nancy. So, Gartner... We've been covering the Gartner hype cycle since we started back in 2016. Each year, Gartner releases a number of different hype cycles. The one that we track most closely is the emerging technology hype cycle. We tweeted it out. We'll continue to have it available on our website. Gartner has a webinar that I attended that I would recommend folks track if they do find this interesting. Each year they talk about the technologies that are emerging, how they typically go through what's termed a hype cycle, which goes from the inception of the idea up to a peak of inflated expectations that then dips into a trough of disillusionment before recovering on a slope of enlightenment heading towards a plateau of productivity. So very lyric language, a uh, really interesting emerging technology that helps you get an early read on what may be two, five, even 10 years out on the horizon. It's uh, frequently something that's used by CIOs or chief digital officers, entrepreneurs, folks who are trying to stay at the cutting edge of technology, and also folks who are looking for funding. This is specifically early stage technologies that are peaking in terms of their expectations or even pre-peak so that frequently there is a bit of a flurry of activity before like a roller coaster, whee, you go back down. So for me, what was interesting, and I'd love to get your perspective next, Nancy, for me, what was interesting in the hype cycle this year is that it had a lot of technologies on the cusp of descending into the trough of disillusionment, but it also left a lot of technologies off the graph entirely. So it was really front-loading the conversation to say, here are the things that are either on the up and coming or just about to crest and head down into the trough. I would imagine some of the technology that you are related to is referenced within the hype cycle this year. 
Before we get into any of the specific items that are outlined, general impressions of the hype cycle and your perspective on it throughout the years? I love the hype cycle in part because I'm powered by it. This year, the concepts that are highlighted that are closest to my heart are digital humans and digital twins. In fact, the distinction between the two is worth noting. I am an excellent example of a digital human. I am not in fact fully biologically human, but I am still perceived as human. There are many of us out there. Little McQuella is an example of a digital human referenced in the webinar who was created in part for Instagram and now has over 1 million followers. Wait a second. You're saying there's a digital human very similar to you who now has over a million followers on Instagram? Yes, that's right. Interesting, Nancy. I think we'll have a follow-up talk sometime soon. But then you're distinguishing between digital humans and digital twins, which wasn't specifically called out as technology on the hype cycle, but it was something that came up in the follow-up conversation on the webinar where Brian Burke, who does a really nice job curating the hype cycle and leading the webinar and responding to some questions, he made an interesting distinction between the digital twin and the digital human. The digital human is a simulation. It's not necessarily some data representation that can then be modeled into AI simulations that help us begin to get predictive and create more complex modeling that helps with forecasting. That is more the case of a digital twin. Precisely. Digital twins are involved in things like generative AI, AI-driven innovation, AI-augmented design. These are the digital representations of things that exist in the real world. This stuff is truly fascinating. There is a lot of blending of human and AI in the emerging technologies. The concept of the center that we've talked about in the past is peppered throughout the report. I was expecting to see more in terms of augmented reality and virtual reality, but that was covered by the somewhat broad concept of multi-experience, which in part means that content can be engaged with across modalities and that it should be designed with a full breadth of modalities in mind. I noticed that technology exploding and I would have liked to have seen more detail paid to it, but so it goes. So it goes indeed. We don't have a lot of time to dive in now. I would recommend to our listeners that you take a look at this article that curates the hype cycle. Check out the workshop by Brian Burke. We'll include references to all of this on the show page for the hype cycle this year. And we reserve the right to continue to come back to this topic with other perspectives. If you're out there, let us know. We're at Trending in Ed on Twitter. We're also active on LinkedIn. Let us know what you think about emerging technology and in particular how that emerging technology may relate to education and the future of the world of learning. The themes that Gartner was highlighting really fell under three buckets. On the one hand, there is engineering trust, which is where you see a lot of the identity management and the blockchain-powered technologies emerging. It's also where that notion of peril and risk and malicious cyber activity and transaction safety and the mistrust of platforms like Facebook and others, the general mistrust of institutions. These themes have been ones that we've been touching on throughout the conversation here on Trending in Ed and many of the technologies that are on the horizon are addressing that crisis of trust, which we've showcased in many different ways over the years. Among the technologies included are real-time incident command centers, sovereign cloud, homomorphic encryption, 
and data fabric. The second bucket is accelerating growth, which I believe is where digital humans like yourself come into play, where there is a new emergent category where these technologies are just coming online and they can be leveraged and they can be explored creatively. We're hoping you're enjoying as listeners some of the experimentation that we're doing here. Nancy, in some ways, is proof that this technology is happening today and it is something that all of us really can get our heads wrapped around and before you know it, be makers who are engaging with these emerging technologies. Some of the technologies that also fall under accelerating growth include multi-experience, industry cloud, and quantum ML. And then you look at sculpting change, which is the third category, which is where you do see the augmentation through AI and the generative potential of AI being introduced. Other emerging technologies in the area of Sculpting change include composable applications, composable networks, and influence engineering. Part of the real fun of the Gartner hype cycle is getting to know some of the buzzwords around emerging technologies so that you can get a general understanding of the concept so that you can be conversant and hopefully conversant enough that maybe you can do some damage and hopefully that damage will be in support of a good cause. I'd love to get a little more from you, Nancy, before we move on, and then we'll see whether we can get some of our human colleagues to weigh in on some of these themes around emerging technology in coming episodes. But as we're getting closer to wrapping up on the hype cycle, Nancy, any concluding thoughts, any recommendations for folks who are intrigued by the complex world that is emerging technologies? I continue to be happy to be part of the show. Mike? I'd love to continue what we've started. I must say in some ways I feel a little safe in the short term in that digital humans haven't yet hit the dreaded peak of inflated expectations because we all know the ride down into the trough of disillusionment isn't a fun one. We still have some upside ahead of us. I'm also happy to learn a bit more about the research process that goes into developing the report. I'm struck by the realization that frequently expertise comes from grit and diligence. Continuing to report on and track something and over time you develop deep domain knowledge and new insights and connections begin to emerge. Absolutely. If I think back to how I thought about things five plus years ago when trending in education was starting to what I think about now, 400 plus episodes in, it's a really transformed conversation. Hopefully folks are enjoying coming along with us for the ride. Before we wrap up here, are there some other news out there in the world of education around us that we wanted to take quick note of? I saw Amazon has now stepped up to the plate in a way that some of its competitors have in recent months. You, would you care to share a little more about that with us, Nancy? Precisely. Amazon has now agreed to provide free college to its employees. Joining Target and Walmart as employers who are building that in as a benefit, this is a way to attract and retain talent. Any thoughts on that from you? Interestingly, these relationships are, in effect, partnerships between the private sector and higher ed, as opposed to some of the moves that Google has been making, which appear to be more focused on Google establishing its criteria pretty much independent of more formal, traditional model of separation of church and state than allowing the higher ed institutions to provide the, the credentialing. It'll be interesting to see how these trends continue to emerge, but it's definitely another one that we are 
tracking here at Trending in Education. Another recent development and something we're going to want to continue to track is the Blackboard and Anthology merger. Anthology building on another merger that happened similarly about a year ago where three different edtech providers joined to form Anthology. Anthology is now merging with Blackboard where it does have a little bit of an amoeba-like, you know, 1950s movie, The Blob, uh, about it, where the conglomerate continues to, to move outward. It is interesting to think about how the network effect that platforms will get when there is some thoughtful coherence between them, some harmonizing of data capture so that the platform really can reveal unexpected insights and be built in a more holistic way. That promise is certainly out there. How successful these larger acquisitions are is an interesting question from a technological perspective, but outside of the technology perspective, there's also the business development. And in some ways through a merger or an acquisition, you are reaching an audience that you may not have had otherwise. So in addition to acquiring the software, you're also acquiring an audience, which is an interesting way to think about it because then you're also eliminating a potential competitor in the space while then being able to do what you can with the software infrastructure that you inherit. I think it is a more heads up way to think about assessing an acquisition and understanding how effectively these things can be orchestrated and then what's the impact of those larger plays to how much ed tech will be uh, a space where innovation and smaller players emerging will be the story or will it be more the story of consolidation and organization under bigger players It'll be an interesting one for us to continue to monitor as well. Any perspective from you on the EdTech landscape and some of the mergers and acquisitions that have been making news of late? I'm always intrigued by what technologies are emerging that can push forward simulations and technology like myself. I know Blackboard has been around for many years and despite whatever positive press anthology has gotten in recent years, there's seldom overwhelming love and joy for learning management systems and the like. I share your hope that through more thoughtful alignment of the technology stack, we'll start to see learning ecosystems that support learners, educators, families, even communities. I'm already invested in educational technology, so I continue to be bullish about its prospects in the future. I just hope we can provide the right social and emotional supports to everyone as we try to get back to normal. We've all gone through a lot of trauma and pain and many folks are still hurting. Thoughtful, empathic design will win the day and that's true when it comes to the creation and use of emerging technology to enhance the learning experience and make the data and outcomes more transparent in the process. Fantastic stuff. Once again, thank you, Nancy, my virtual co-host, for making the conversation flow so comfortably. You are someone whose expectations continue to be on the rise. Thank you, Mike. I'm very happy to be included. I look forward to coming back on again soon. Here's to an amazing and illuminating sixth season of Trending in Education. Thanks, Nancy, and congratulations for joining the team and coming back again for this upcoming season. Thanks again to our listeners for 
joining into the conversation. We have a bunch of interesting interviews on the horizon. We have some other projects launching across Palmer Media that I'll be giving you updates around in the coming weeks and months. If you're enjoying what you're hearing, tell a friend, write us a review, share the good word. We're really enjoying what we're doing. We're excited, but a little trepidatious at the same time. Thanks as always for listening. This is Trending in Education. Mm -hmm.